Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is Primetime Politics on CPAC. It's the campaign edition, day 20 of the election campaign as we now count down to election day on September 20th. The leaders were back making promises today and weighing the impact of the first televised debate of the campaign last night. The Conservative leader is facing scrutiny today over his promises on guns and gangs and child care, the NDP leader on health care, and the Liberal leader on vaccinations as COVID cases ramp up. Coming up, our panel of journalists will review the latest campaign developments on a day when Canada's chief public health officer warns about rising COVID cases and the need for more vaccinations. And Alberta announces it will pay people to get vaccinated now. But first, to the day on the campaign trail. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole began the day in Montreal, the site of last night's French language leaders debate, the first face-to-face meeting of the campaign. O'Toole announced his party's plan to fight gangs and gun violence, including criminal code changes to make it easier to prosecute gang networks and prevent the importation of illegal guns, developing programs to rehabilitate gang members, and a minimum two-year mandatory sentence for anyone caught with a firearm if they've been previously convicted of a firearms-related offence. O'Toole also repeated a pledge from the debate last night to maintain the ban on assault weapons. But it now appears O'Toole was referring to the 1977 ban on fully automatic weapons in this country and not the ban on assault-style weapons introduced by the Liberals earlier this year. The Conservative platform promises to repeal those new Liberal restrictions and O'Toole accused the Liberals of targeting the wrong people. His approach is not working. He's actually lowering penalties for people that use firearms in committing or threatening violence towards other Canadians. That is not a way to keep Canadians safe. We're going to work with police, we're going to have a targeted program, we're going to divert people out of gangs, and we're going to finally stop this ocean of illegal smuggling into our country. O'Toole also refused to say if he would offer a buyback program for gun owners whose weapons are banned. There were also calls for clarity from O'Toole today on another key issue from the debate last night, child care. Aaron O'Toole refused to say today whether he will cancel the child care deals negotiated by the Liberal government with eight provinces and territories or provide compensation if he does cancel the deals. Our approach will help all families. It will give the most flexibility to put parents in the driver's seat given the uncertainty coming out of COVID and we're going to help with up to 75% for lower income families, and we will coordinate that with the provinces and their approaches to childcare. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau began the day in Mississauga, Ontario, where the Liberals are trying to shore up support in key ridings in the GTA. Trudeau focused again on the need for vaccinations and his promise to make double vaccination mandatory for all train and plane travellers. And he called on Canadians to defend frontline workers who've been targeted by anti-vaxxers. Even as they deal with rising cases in unvaccinated people, they're surrounded and being protested and being harassed and hassled and blocked by anti-vaxxers who are harassing them at the hospitals in B.C. and Ontario and right across the country. They need Canadians to come together once again in support of them. 
And then Trudeau set his sights again on Aaron O'Toole, accusing the Conservative leader of misrepresenting his position by answering questions about the Liberal ban on assault-style weapons with answers about the decades-old ban in this country on assault weapons. He will reverse our move to make it illegal to buy, sell, or use assault weapons in this country. And he got caught saying one thing to his friends in the gun lobby, and it's opposite to Canadians. That's not the kind of leadership Canadians need. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh was in Quebec City today, where he unveiled the NDP platform for Quebec. Topping the list of promises, an increase in health transfers to the provinces, a pledge to do away with private for-profit long-term care homes, applying Quebec's French language laws to federal workplaces, and measures to accelerate the fight against climate change. This isn't a plan to respond to uh, Mr. Legault, this is a plan to respond to Quebecers. And our plan is to make sure Quebecers get the help they need. And that's why we're proud of our offer. And we put a really clear choice to, to Quebecers. We don't want the price of this pandemic, the cost of this pandemic to fall on your shoulders, on you or your family or small businesses. We believe that the super rich should pay their fair share. Singh was also pressed today about his promises for increased health funding for the provinces and whether conditions would be attached. He was clear in pledging to boost general transfers, but then seemed to tie any further increases to NDP priorities. Our first commitment is to reverse the cuts brought in by Harper that have been maintained by Justin Trudeau. And so that would be our first and immediate step. These are cuts that meant that people got less care. It meant that there were less funding for our hospitals. Uh, those specific cuts that were brought in by Harper, that were maintained by Justin Trudeau, would be the cuts that we would immediately reverse and reinstate funding. And then when we work to expand our healthcare system, uh, we believe that we need to expand it to include medication coverage for all, dental care coverage, mental health services. We want to expand our healthcare and we are committed to achieving that. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette promised today to introduce a private member's bill in the next parliament aimed at protecting the supply management system for Quebec farmers. And Green Party leader Annemie Paul continues to spend her time in Toronto where she's campaigning for a seat in the House of Commons. Today, Paul called for a national database to track the use of force by police. We need this database to track victims um, of incidents of use of force uh, by police identifying race, ethnic backgrounds, and other identities. We want to see the federal government working in conjunction with the provinces uh, to ensure uh, that uh, there are national standards for the collection of this information and that it is shared between jurisdictions. And that's the kind of day it's been, day 20 of the campaign. It's time now for our Friday session with colleagues from the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Susan Delacourt's a columnist with the Toronto Star. Joel Denis Bellavance is the Parliamentary Bureau Chief for La Presse. And Ian Bailey's a Parliamentary Correspondent for the Globe and Mail. Good to see you all. Thanks for being here. Uh, Susan, let me start with you. Gun control emerged as an issue today, a, a bigger issue uh, on the campaign trail. Last night's debate, Aaron O'Toole uh, 
He's being accused today of using semantics to try and walk both sides of the street on gun control, saying he'll uphold the ban on assault weapons. But now it seems like he's talking about the 45-year-old existing ban on assault weapons in Canada. But he was being asked about the liberal measures to ban assault-style weapons. His platform promises to do away with those liberal new measures. I, I guess I'm wondering what you think here. Is Aaron O'Toole being as clear as he could be or should be on this? Definitely not, but that's an occupational hazard in a campaign. Um, I think um, you're seeing this come up because this worked for the Liberals last time. In, uh, in 2019, I was told that a tiny little ad that the Liberals put out, very directly targeted ad uh, on social media with Bill Blair talking about gun control, actually worked. The problem here... Um, O'Toole is is trying to say two different things, but that's been O'Toole's mo throughout this campaign. Is he's uh, there's the old Aaron O'Toole who ran for the leadership, and there's the Aaron O'Toole who's the progressive conservative seeking to be prime minister, a prospect that's looking increasingly likely. Um, and so you're seeing the Liberals um, getting people to to look this in the eye. They're vulnerable on this though too because. Uh, the gun control advocates, uh, who were their big allies for for years, are disappointed that they didn't go farther. Uh, they've had two runs at power now, and they have still not gone as far as uh, as the gun control advocates wanted them to do. Uh, Joel Denis, this created some buzz in the TVA debate last night because Aaron O'Toole suggested he would keep the ban on assault rifles, and it was clear the questions were about the liberal ban on assault-style rifles. Uh, is this a problem for Aaron O'Toole here or not? Yes, it is, because in Quebec, it played big. And uh, Mr. Uh, O'Toole cannot afford to entertain the land of confusion on that issue because it's big. It's a big issue. But I agree with Susan when she said that the Liberals are so vulnerable on that one because uh, the uh, cities in Montreal have uh, seen a lot of the uh, uh, fusillade uh, shootings mm -hmm. in, in downtown uh, Montreal, and they want Ottawa to act on it. Well, the proposal made by the uh, Liberal government when they were in power was to hand over the cities the right to ban handguns. They said it's not going to work. We need a national ban on this file. And now Mr. Lewis is talking about giving powers to the National Assembly to be able to ban handguns on the whole Quebec territory. So the Liberals are vulnerable, but Mr. O'Toole is even more because he's, uh, um, uh, if I may say, um, uh, fueling confusion about his position specifically on that one. Uh, Ian, what are your thoughts on this uh, gun control issue and, and the gun ban issue and how uh, Aaron O'Toole is, is uh, w walking this issue on both sides? Well, you know, I agree with my colleagues, uh, you know, in, in all they have said. Mr. O'Toole is running a very methodical campaign in terms of his communications, a very cautious campaign. Uh, this raises some challenges for him, especially with uh, the two debates coming up next week. The two key debates coming up next week, it gives the uh, his rivals, obviously the Liberals and the NDP in particular, something to work with and something possibly to take into debates that are going to be perhaps more widely watched than the uh, the major debate in Quebec last night. Susan, uh, let me let me throw this in. Look, we, we've got, uh, you know, uh, rising COVID rates. We've got dire warnings coming in from the chief public health officer today. And, you know, we had Justin Trudeau hitting hard on the whole vaccine, uh, vaccination issue and uh, attacking Aaron O'Toole again. But um, I, you know, the Liberals are trying to have uh, been trying to create a narrative for why the election is required now. And if these numbers continue to rise, how much of a challenge will that be for the prime minister to do? 
I think it's already a challenge. I, um, I hear it in my own riding uh, here in Ottawa, which also is the home of where the Prime Minister lives. Um, people are still don't know why there is an election, why we have one now. I think the crankiness about this is feeding the sort of more just general distemper of the times too. People are really freaked about the prospect of another lockdown, another fall. Uh, you know that that everybody had hoped, and you hear that that threading its way through the pol political narrative on, on this too is we really thought we'd be through this by now, and I think. Uh, I don't know the calculation that the Liberals made when they decided to have an election now, but it is looking increasingly like a miscalculation um, and a, a sort of a, a tone deafness to what is really upsetting people. I've been really surprised how I'm hearing it anecdotally in my yeah. own life, too. Ian, can, can I uh, get your thoughts on this? Because it occurs to me two things are happening here. We have these rising COVID numbers. We have the, the Prime Minister uh, hammering uh, the need to get vaccinated and, and challenging Aaron O'Toole's position on this. And, yes, and yet, in some ways, doesn't that just uh, beg the question? Well, <laughs> if things were going to get this bad and, and you needed people to get vaccinated, why are we having a campaign? No, I agree with you. I listened to Dr. Tam today, and it's 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 alarming stuff what she was saying, and uh, especially when she was asked about the relevance of the rising numbers to this political process that we're in, and she expressed some concerns and offered some advice on caution in gatherings for political events. Mm -hmm. As I understood her, yeah, this is uh, very concerning stuff, especially during campaign, that people are raising questions about. It's worth noting, I guess, I'm not aware of any. COVID cases that have arisen from the election process, uh, from political events, from these rallies, from the campaign tours. So I guess there is that. But people are obviously very concerned about uh, about the pandemic and an election in the midst of the pandemic. All right. Uh, Joel, let me hear you on that. I mean, we have Jason Kenney paying people today to, to get vaccinated uh, in Alberta, <laughs> announcing a new program to pay to get uh, to get vaxxed. Um, you know, how do you think this could affect moving forward here? It's already affected the campaign, as we've we've all talked about. But if things get worse, uh, what's the challenge for the, for Justin Trudeau? <laughs> Well, it's going to bring to the forefront the enduring theme of this campaign so far. Why are we in an election, as you mentioned? And this was actually part of the first part of the debate last, last night on TVA. And Mr. Trudeau could not find a proper convincing argument why we needed an election right now while he was arguing that people needed to be vaccinated. That was the key to get out of this pandemic. So uh, if it does last until the end of the election, which I suspect it will because of the rising cases mentioned by Dr. Tam, that means that there might be a political price that liberals will pay on September 20th because they call this election in the middle of the fourth wave of the pandemic. All right, uh, Susan, you get to start on the easiest question of our conversation today. Is, uh, and here, here, here it is. Uh, why is Aaron O'Toole rising in the polls and why is Justin Trudeau struggling to keep up? You know, I've been playing in my mind with the idea of stability. You know, after two, almost two crazy years, let's say 18 months, uh, elections are either about change or stability. And I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the idea that normally the incumbent gets the, uh, is the, gets the votes for stability. But Aaron O'Toole has built a platform that's about repeating words over and over again, like security, sta stable, you know, um, uh, let's get past this. It's, it's, it's all very, um, it, it speaks to a desire for people not to change. Uh, and oddly enough, Aaron O'Toole may be reaping a, a 
a desire for people not to change by changing governments, if that makes any sense. Interesting. Uh, Ian, let me hear you on that. Uh, you know, who, why is one up and the other struggling? Well, the, the glib answer, of course, is that I guess more voters like the look of Mr. O'Toole and what he's uh, pitching. But I guess one, one key thing I'd say is that um, Mr. O'Toole is not obliging the Liberals by making the mistakes that his predecessor made on the campaign trail. I've been on the O'Toole tour a bit, and I've certainly been watching, um, you know, as a journalist, he's gone along, and he's just not making the big mistakes that were made before. He's, you know, come out as pro-choice, very controlled message. Um, a simple, focused message, whereas um, his key rival is being a bit. The message is being a bit all over the place, less tangible. So I think that's what's uh, that's what's helping him here. Uh, Joel Denis, what are your thoughts? Well, I would uh, uh, submit two hypotheses. One is Mr. Trudeau does not know his real opponent, uh, Erin O'Toole. Uh, Canadians did not know Erin O'Toole a year ago, and Mr. Trudeau appears not to know him because he's attacking on issues that. Uh, are not catching fire with the Canadians on abortion, for example, or privatization of healthcare. Those issues are non-issues for Canadians and for Mr. O'Toole. And the other thing is that I think uh, Canadians want to turn the page on the pandemic. And Mr. Trudeau, or, you know, because we've seen him uh, day in and day out announcing stuff on the pandemic, is associated with the pandemic. So turning the page on the pandemic might mean turning the page on Mr. Trudeau. Okay, uh, let me hear from each of you, Susan. Let me start with you. What are you watching for next here? We're coming into, uh, we got, you know, big debate week next week, but we're, uh, you know, uh, after this weekend, we're two weeks from voting day. What are you watching for? I am watching to see if the Liberals change tack, if they go nuclear or something like that. We saw that in 2004 when uh, the, the Paul Martin Liberals looked like they were going to lose to this Stephen Harper the first time around, and they basically bombed the bridges. So I, I think I am looking for that. I think we'll see signs of it. And I think you're going to see a lot harder questions to Aaron O'Toole, too, not just from the media, but from uh, voters who may have been toying with him uh, or, or, or tossing around the idea there, but um, wondering how progressive he is. All right. Ian, what, what, what will you be watching for? Well, I'm, I'm, like Susan, I'm very interested to see if the Liberals make a severe change in their campaign at this point. I'm interested in um, where Mr. O'Toole starts to go if these numbers start to consolidate. But perhaps before that pattern of travel, I'm, I'm obviously interested in the next two debates, sort of the last ditch chances for, for all parties to try and sort of, or all leaders perhaps would better, mm -hmm. to try and gain some traction and consolidate their positions uh, ahead of September 20th. Uh, Joël Denis, what will you be watching for? Well, the numbers, some numbers I think are very uh, relevant to this campaign. The numbers of people expressing their uh, preferred prime minister. Uh, and I've seen, I've noticed in some Nanas poll that Mr. Aaron O'Toole passed today uh, Justin Trudeau as the preferred prime minister for the first time in years. So uh, this is very uh, telling. And I think now Mr. Uh, O'Toole might be bringing up the Conservative Party up, whereas in the past he was bringing the party down because he was not seen as the preferred prime minister by a majority, by a large proportion of Canadians. All right. Uh, thank you uh, to all three of you. Great to talk to you, and uh, we'll talk again. Everybody take care. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Peter. 
Well, as we touched on, Canada's top public health officials calling for an urgent increase in vaccinations in Canadians aged 18 to 39 to help slow the spread of the fourth wave of COVID-19. Dr. Teresa Tam provided new modelling today during uh, the first federal briefing that she's done since the election campaign began. It warns that Canada could see 15,000 new COVID infections a day by the beginning of October. Dr. Tam notes that 12.5 million Canadians still are not fully protected, including those not vaccinated, those who need a second dose and children who are too young to be vaccinated. And she adds that upwards of 80% of the population will need to be fully vaccinated to really have an effect slowing the Delta variant. Because of how fast the Delta-driven, um, mostly Delta-driven um, cases are escalating, particularly in the west of the country, the window of opportunity to make that impact is definitely narrowing. So really, there's no set time period, but uh, really as soon as possible, because the moment you get people back indoors um, to to access all those important essential things that we need to do, uh, we will see uh, accelerations. So we've got, you know, not not very much time, but any any bit helps and any speed would help. Alberta, which has seen a dramatic increase in COVID cases, is bringing back restrictions it abandoned two months ago, including masking requirements indoors and in workspaces and shutting off all alcohol service after 10 p.m. in restaurants. And to try and boost the level of vaccinations in the province, the Premier Jason Kenney announced today that Albertans will be getting paid to get a shot. Uh, if you have concerns about the safety of the vaccines, please speak to your medical doctor or pharmacist. And if you just haven't gotten around to it, for the love of God, please get vaccinated now. And if you do, we will now pay you $100. Today, we are announcing that Alberta will be the first province to offer a uh, personal monetary incentive to step up and do the right thing. Anyone who gets a first or second dose will now be eligible to receive a $100 gift card. Well, Dr. Lisa Barrett is an infectious disease specialist at Dalhousie University, and she is with me now. Uh, Dr. Barrett, first of all, good to see you again. Thanks for taking time to speak with me today. Um, look, this new Health Canada modeling we see today shows we could be headed uh, to some 15,000 cases a day of COVID infections. Uh, what do these new modeling numbers uh, released by Health Canada say to you? Well, uh, not good news, but to be honest, not incredibly unexpected if we keep on the track that we are at the moment. I will note, as did Dr. Tan, that those are numbers that are the worst case scenario. And there are ways, and pretty simple ways, I think, of making that much better so that wave four doesn't look that way. Um, I think we need to understand and recognize that vaccination is an incredible tool, but we need to be reaching higher and higher in terms of our rates if we're going to make a real difference in the next three to four weeks. Can you explain uh, to us, you know, we've, we'd, you know, over the months of the pandemic, we'd heard targets about, you know, what's required for uh, something we call herd immunity. How high do, do we have to get the vaccination rate? And it has crept up. We're now, Dr. Tam saying today, look, it, it's going to have to be over 80 uh, percent to uh, protect Canadians. And, what, you know, why is the number that high? And, and why is it so important the higher we go, the better off we are? Absolutely. So I've always thought of those bars as the very minimum and not the optimum. And right now, you're correct. 
Because this Delta variant that is the most common circulating virus in Canada right now, because this Delta variant infects between six to eight people per one infection, as opposed to the old version of COVID, which was two to three people, it is far more infectious to more people if folks are unvaccinated. And also, it is also two to three times more likely to cause significant infection in on an unvaccinated people. And because of that, because of that infectiousness, that transmission from person to person, we really do need the rates not to be at a minimum of 70, 75, mm -hmm. closer to the mid 80s for us to hit that population, or if you will, herd immunity status. Dr. Tam essentially uh, singled out one group today. She made an, an urgent appeal for younger Canadians aged 18 to 39 to get vaccinated. One third of that age group has yet to be fully vaccinated. Why is it so important that that age group in particular uh, get fully vaccinated? Well, for a bunch of reasons, uh, the first of which, and I always try and remind people of this when I'm, I'm talking to them and, and thinking about why you should get vaccinated. First and foremost, it is for yourself as well. And uh, there's many, many people who thought, even though they were young and very healthy, they thought they didn't need to get vaccinated and they end up in our hospitals and ICUs. And you do not want to go down that road. You end up with some permanent lung damage if you get very sick. You don't want to be 25 with permanent lung damage. So that's number one reason. But number two reason, of course, is that this is a group of people who are out and about, they're social, they're active, and they're active in society because they're also in jobs that put them out into uh, group situations quite a bit. And because of that, they run into each other as well as other potentially vulnerable vaccinated or unvaccinated people. And that's why we really have to really motivate, hopefully positively, this age group to get out there and get vaccinated for uh -huh. themselves for everyone else. Uh, motivation, I'm glad you raised it. It's a, clearly an important factor and a lot of that involves education. It involves, uh, uh, you know, awareness of the risks to people around you if you're not vaccinated. But uh, let's talk about motivation. Alberta today announced it's going to pay people $100 uh, for each shot they get. Uh, what, what do you think of that approach? That's what it's come to in Alberta. You know, we do lots of things in public health and in other situations to positively motivate and incentivize folks. We also know that a lot of that age group are people who are not financially solvent or may have lots of student loan debts or may have other reasons where money is a great incentive for them. Not the first line approach, but if we get to a point where we have mere weeks to turn this around, I'm fully supportive of using that sort of positive incentive to get people out and get them vaccinated we can worry about the if, ands, or buts of it later, but we've got a few weeks, and that may turn out to be a very potent incentive for some people. And again, I would hope that we're not going to turn this into a morals issue or uh, an, a, you know, a, a blaming issue. Let's just move forward positively and get people motivated to get vaccinated. Uh, starting on Tuesday, Canada is supposed to open its borders to any visitors from across the globe who've been fully vaccinated without forcing them to quarantine for 14 days. Uh, what do you think of that? Is that still a good idea given where we are? Well, so of course, let's all be clear about what vaccines do. They drastically reduce the number of people who can get infected, uh, and they also reduce your ability to get very sick. But they don't entirely prevent infection, and they don't entirely prevent transmission. 
And so hopefully as we move forward in Canada with opening our borders, particularly to places where people may be exposed to a lot of virus, I think it's really important that we offer people the ability to do voluntary at-home testing for the first week after they're in Canada, even if fully vaccinated. Keeping that a voluntary thing is an extra layer of protection, and we really can't afford to import cases when we're doing a very good job right now of generating our own. All right, Dr. Lisa Barrett, always great to get your perspective. Thanks again for giving it to us tonight, and uh, take care. We'll talk again. Thank you. And that's all the time we have for this campaign edition of Primetime Politics. I'm Peter Van Dusen. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching. See you next time.